This is the Rev Thinking Podcast, exploring the motion industry right at the intersection of creativity and commerce, because the best way to deal with the future is to create it. I'm Joel Pilger. Greetings from Los Angeles. If you've ever heard me say, this is one of my most favorite episodes of the Rev Thinking Podcast, ignore it, because this is <laughs> this is the episode I am so excited to release. My guests today are John Lepore and Ryan Summers. Each of these gentlemen, I would call them a creative director, designer, animator, like they've, they've worn all these different hats, but more than anything, they are futurists. And I'm gonna, you know, try not to give away too much of our, our ages here. Um, maybe even call them elders. The conversation we have today is answering the question, what is motion design? Like, where did it come from? What is it? And of course, most importantly, where is it going? I'm gonna call this episode a tour de force. I could barely keep up. These guys are so on top of it and so articulate in what is motion design, our industry, where it's headed, what are the potentials, the opportunities. I'm just gonna sum it up with this one soundbite from Ryan. He says, the future is in motion design's hands if it wants to step up and take it. Incredible conversation. I'm very excited. You'll hear a little bit more about John and Ryan once we get into the episode. So hang in there. They do give a little brief description of their respective bios. So I'm not going to bother you with that now. But enjoy the ride. If you like this conversation, I appreciate, comment, share this episode. I think this is going to be one that we look back on and say, yep, that captured the moment, the the zeitgeist in our industry. And perhaps it will be a lamp that uh, helps guide us forward into the future together. Enjoy. We decided to do this at a very opportune time because the new Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse trailer is literally dropping right now. Like it literally dropped. Oh, really? If there couldn't oh, be a better, oh. if there couldn't be a better examination of the Venn diagram of traditional animation and what now we think of motion design, I feel like uh, that movie was. It sat right at the nexus point between those two worlds that we thought were so formally like described, and now I think like we've blurred and and multiversed everything about motion design and animation and film language and sound design. That like I think that that movie, at least the first one. I'm literally watching the trailer for the second one right now, but that first one. Um, yeah, you've you've literally just lost my attention for the next uh, two minutes seconds. and twenty two <laughs> seconds. But uh, while you watch that, I'll just stop. I've been dying waiting for a place where you could actually start pointing to. Oh, those are motion design conventions. Those are things that you think as a motion designer that animation didn't always think about. Everything in terms of character animation is always about everything being fluid and being as close to life as possible, and like stylizations tending right. towards photorealism. Whereas because of all the different things I'm sure we'll talk about over the next hour in motion design, you know, we didn't have the luxury to think of. So we got, you know, we jammed differently stylistically in terms of textured timing and in terms of not treating things as photorealistic, finding a stylistic version of what photorealism is by doing zipitone and doing chromatic aberrations, all those tricks that you talk about all the time with motion design, they, they use that as a stylistic tool. Um, and that literally was like the moment where I felt like everyone and everywhere their eyes were open to some of the things that we use every day in motion design. That's just that that's what we do. 
And now all of a sudden people Damn. everywhere, there's been seven other movies and TV shows since then are like, what is this? We don't have to spend forever rendering something photoreal. We can actually like do these things that in motion design, which I think will be a theme that happens all the time. Um, we use as a crutch or we feel bad about it because we don't have the time to do all this stuff. We're like, oh, we're not really animators. We're not really filmmakers. We don't really tell stories. And now the best storytellers in the world are taking all the stuff that we do and saying, look how cool we are for all these new things. So I don't know if that's, uh, if you've finished watching yet, um, John, but that's what I think about Spider-Verse and motion design. John's been very quiet. He's just, it's, it, this absorbed. is the best pot. This is literally the best <laughs> possible way to watch this trailer is to watch it with the, the like pseudo director's commentary coming from Ryan oh explaining like why this stuff is so powerful in the general, like zeitgeist as a, as a whole. Cause it is, I mean, it's, it's a huge thing to see something uh, like Spider-Verse when that first dropped and basically just kind of said like, Hey, there isn't a stylistic expectation or prerequisite here. We can, we can jump between all these different aesthetics, but also really start exploring. And I feel like it even is still the tip of the iceberg as to like how these different stylistic choices are helping to tell a story or convey information. And for me, that's, that's definitely a, a big part of like motion design. Like, all right. So like we're, we're all kind of old school motion design people, right? Like we all came up as motion design was becoming this new industry in the early to mid 2000s. Maybe before that even. And I remember. <laughs> I would even say before. I, yeah, I'll date myself, but even before that. But when it, when it was MoGraph and not, not motion design, even. Yeah, when, motion it, when, graphics. when it was, when it was MoGraph. Um, and I remember there being a point that for me was personally really frustrating. And it was around um, when PSYOP came out with Happiness Factory, mm -hmm. which is, it's, it's, effect, it's, it's an amazing, phenomenal piece that like raised the bar for the entire industry and effectively, um, you know, put PSYOP in this position as like, we are um, Pixar on drugs. And we are, are going to bring this incredible level of execution uh, to this space. It really frustrated me, though, because it wasn't, to me, it, it wasn't motion graphics. It felt like it was just like, okay, this is just like a character animation piece or like a VFX piece or, or whatnot. And I was missing, and, and that's, that was an incorrect or an immature assessment for me to have at that point. But I, you know, it made me actually really sad because I, I really liked previous things where PSYOP was playing with typography and graffiti and, you know, all of these other elements. And since then, I mean, obviously we've seen the industry evolve and go through many different generational shifts, but it is, I, I feel like we still haven't settled into the groove yet of like how much is motion graphics moving type versus Pixar caliber animation versus uh, top tier visual effects, you know, and, you know, that's that that to me is also part of the fun part of it. Go, go, Joel, because I'm going to keep going if I if you don't stop. No, me. I'm, I'm just laughing because I feel like to start this conversation, I think I just like popped the top on a soda can that somebody else started shaking and I didn't know about it. So, and I'm just like, I just want to you know, have a nice drink and this thing is already exploding. So I'm just going to offer a little context, right? So first of all, right, this topic of like, what is motion design is the general like 
call it context of where we're, where we're going here. Let me also just do a little bit of business in that. How do you guys know each other? Because I want to get a little blurb about each of your backgrounds and for the, for the people out there in the world that are like, who's, who's Ryan, who's John, but how do you guys know each other? I've probably interviewed with John in the past and we've probably both shown up at Seagraph before and retweeted or, or commented on each other's Twitter. Like we, we've probably dual pathed in similar pathways and then kind of forked in different directions. Ryan, you're like sort of like a, you know, like a, a podcast friend, like, you know, <laughs> someone that like, you know, y- you don't spend probably much time here listening to me, but I've, I hear you weigh in on everything. I've always just been a fan of your general position in the community as like a cheerleader and like someone that's generally supporting everyone that's out there and basically just putting endless amounts of positive vibes into the the motion graphics culture so whenever you know i've had the opportunity to bump into you at a conference or you know talk to you about a potential project or whatever it is i'm always thrilled yeah. to to have any any interaction that's, like that with you it's very kind of john and I'll, I'll i'll return the favor by saying that in the in the multiverse not unlike spider-man of what places your career could go i've always looked to john as like the the place i wished my career could have gone to because I always feel like in terms of uh, content, in terms of technology, in terms of new places that motion design could go, all the places I read about, John is actually the one most of the time that's actually right there doing it. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, oh, you knew this? Oh no, John doesn't need me to ask him about this new thing. He's done it already. He's worked with the people. He's used the tool. He's bolted the seven things together to make a project. So it, it's, um, I, I love to hear the fact that you think of me as a cheerleader, but I, I think of you as kind of like... Um, a place to aim my my arrows at right well i, I look at the, the both of you as in a way those two people that are pioneering i look at your careers and similar to what you said ryan i'm like man if i could have done it that way that would have been so cool not that i have any regrets about where you know i am in the industry today but uh, would you mind giving like just the quick beats of like your trajectory so ryan if someone was you know, if you were just on a stage and they're like, give us the three or four bullet points of, of your career to anybody that doesn't know you. And then we'll, then you can pass the torch to John. Uh, I went to school for, to be a chemical engineer. Halfway through, I quit to become a 3d animator. Um, I basically directed like, uh, or animated on a religious version of Winnie the Pooh, then made video games, then, um, was a shooter, editor, writer, director at the board of trade and then also created like was working on a yoga app at the time before that was a thing anybody ever did moved to LA worked in visual effects um, eventually found my way into motion design um, without really knowing that it was motion design I just knew I loved imaginary forces um, and then went from there it was that was kind of like my um, master class or master's degree and then um, I kind of treated myself like Bruce Wayne trying to learn how to be Batman and I went to as many shops as I possibly could to learn from as many different places um, I ended up at Digital Kitchen for three years, then went to School of Motion for a couple of years to be a CD there. Um, and now I'm uh, one of the senior creative directors at a little company in Denver called Spilt. Ah, yes. My people in Denver. John, um, what's, your, what's your amazing little bullet point uh, breadcrumb trail? <laughs> Ryan just made an awesome template of an incredible speed run. I'm going to see if I can keep that same pace so I don't go on forever. But like, as a, as a kid... I wanted to be a car designer. I j- just, that was my introduction to the concept of like form and function. Uh, I, I started leveraging my artistic skills towards graphic design, discovered the concept of motion graphics uh, late in my college career and pretty quickly was like, okay, that's, that is the thing. It's graphic design on a timeline. Like that's, that's what 
my everything is all about. Uh, dove into that, uh, did very traditional motion graphics stuff for the first chapter of my career, joined a, uh, a small boutique called Perception based in New York City, um, stayed there for 16 years, and over that time period had a, an array of amazing experiences that uh, many of which were really triggered by the first time working on a feature film, which was Iron Man 2, big big film to kind of jump into the pool on, uh, designing fictional technologies that appeared throughout the film. That almost immediately opened the door to real-world technology companies who were curious about how to bring that cinematic perspective to their real-world products. And uh, that became my sort of specialty and my focus, balancing the sort of like pragmatic user experience side of things with the cinematic, playful, blue sky imagination. Uh, was was doing that for quite some time at Perception and and eventually over the years leveled up an incredible roster of like best in class clients on both sides of that expertise. Uh, and in the last year I, I departed perception. I've been having a go at it on my own as a creative consultant, working with some really amazing studios and teams, working with some amazing filmmakers, some amazing technology brands, and really, uh, coming into my own and in describing my focus as designing the future, which is intentionally meant to kind of sound like bullshit because I, <laughs> I feel like I've at least got the resume You've that can, that can back it up and not have it just sound like LinkedIn fluff garbage. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my thing is, is looking at how do we take some of these, uh, motion graphics and visual effects skills and mindset and start applying them to next generation mm -hmm. problems, technologies, and also just how can how can also fiction leverage those things to always create the North Star. For so us. you guys are both triggering some memories of mine as I think back in my well before I even had a career. Like when I was in college studying industrial design in 1990, I think this was. <laughs> I'm standing in an art supply store called Sam Flax in Atlanta, Georgia. And I pick up a book that I, I think it was called Broadcast Design or something. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at this like storyboards for Monday night at the movies. Do you remember this thing on ABC back when we were yeah. little kids? And somebody had pencil mm -hmm. drawn the frames using black paper and colored pencils. And then, of course, there was the final like animated thing. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. When I grow up, I was just transfixed that there's such a thing that people get to make that stuff. That was like where my journey started. But of course, back then it wasn't, was it broadcast design? Was it motion? Was it animation? I don't know. I'm wondering, it makes me wonder, want to ask, uh, maybe I'll start with you, John. When, when you were a kid, did you envision you would ever be doing something like what we now call motion design? <laughs> So I didn't know that motion design was a thing when I was a kid, but I was still interested in this idea of, you know, creativity, but also applying it. And like over the years, as I was growing up, there was like, you know, I was interested in designing cars and drawing car designs, but I was interested in architecture and other adjacent sort of things. But there was actually a very similar point for me, which was seeing a behind the scenes featurette on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. And they showed that the minecart sequence 
was made with miniatures, mm -hmm. which to me as an eight-year-old was just like, shit, they're playing with toys. <laughs> like I have toys. Mm -hmm. I could make a movie. And I immediately started, you know, busting out my clay and, and trying to make my own miniature Indiana Jones sequence. And, and for me, just that, I think that just always stayed with me as this pursuit of like, hey, this, you know, as long as you can find a way to connect some of these dots mm -hmm. in these spaces, you can have some fun. <laughs> Ryan. This. And that's, that, that for me is just, yeah, that's, it's always been a big do, piece Do you have a similar it. story, Ryan? I just want to go back to the thing you said, you know, like you, you had that moment and you're like, I don't know if it's, if it's animation or filmmaking or sound design or visual effects or wh whatever it is. And I'm like, my answer to that is like, yes, yes, it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's all of that. And I think it'll go to the bigger sentiment that I have that I feel like I'm starting to become like a, a flag bearer for, but um, we all had our different entry points. And that's, I think the whole point of motion design, the whole point of motion design is that there isn't a Sheridan or a Cal arts or a USC that everybody goes through or New York film school. And there's the one true way. And there's the same, you know, five figureheads and the gatekeepers and the three heroes that everybody works to. Everyone you show up to at work, whether it's virtual or in a studio, has a completely different pathway into motion design. And that's what makes it motion design. So for me, yeah, like I, I loved comic books, right? I remember I, I just watched Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and heard him say the second movie he ever saw in his life was, was Walt Disney's Pinocchio in a theater. And that was my first one, right? Like, it, and it's amazing how much all these very different things. I remember I got an Etch-a-Sketch Animator 2000. It was like a like 200 by 200 pixel grid little Etch-a-Sketch, but it could save a frame. It, could, it has a cache. And I remember play, like, like animating so much with it that the screen just burnt out. And I was like, oh, I, I think I need to do something with this at like whatever, six or seven years old. But, you know, we all have that story of whatever the discovery might have been. I, I think I might have seen um, um, a Chuck Jones interview about um, the Grinch Christmas special. It was the first time where you have that moment mm. of like, oh, people make these. Right. And there's people who, not that they, it wasn't the fact that like people got paid to do it. Like, I think there's always, that's just there, but there's people who spent their whole life doing one thing and they got really good at it. And I think the thing I saw was like the, the immediate, just like skill of like someone having that pencil mileage in their hand and then the reverence for that person being able to do it. To me, all of a sudden it's like, I just want to be around people who can do that. I don't know if I ever can be at that level, but I want to get as close as I can to as many people doing those things. And that's the fun thing about motion design is the, the distance from I've never done this before to being next to the best people is a mountain you can scale for anyone. Mm, yeah. And you can be near that. Whereas it feels like it's almost next to impossible for filmmaking, for music, for, for sports, for a lot of those things. You have to just be a fan. You can't be a peer. But I think in motion design, that's another one of the really amazing things is that you can kind of get there. I'm looking at this notebook I have because Ryan, you were reminding me when I was a kid in grade school, I was one of these kids that would draw the little animation in the corner of yeah. your book, right? A little flip book. Did both of you do that? Yeah, I did that. <laughs> but I did that. I remember drawing my own logos for stuff that I didn't like. I remember looking like walking down the aisle at the, um, the grocery store. And I'm old enough to remember when they used to have the generic aisle. Do you, do, you, do you remember where they used to just have white boxes with black type? Yeah. And I remember like going right. home and yep. taking the box and, and drawing on the box, like my version of like the Frosted Flakes, you know, box, but the way I wanted it to look like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, John, you have crazy stories of like something with like, I mean, cars, right? It, professional like race car driving has some of the best graphic design and use of color and bold typography that you could find in anything. That had to be a huge inspiration for you. 
Yeah, I mean, all all of that uh, cars branding in general coming up in the age of like Michael <laughs> Jordan and the the Jumpman yep. logo as a piece of iconography that just like said so much and was so simple. Thinking of the original Tim Burton mm-hmm. Batman poster, which was just a Batman logo cropped mm-hmm. off on the left and right side because it was too almost big. like too big to even fit on the poster. And there wasn't even the title mm-hmm. of the movie on there. It was just... Batman logo. And that to me, I was just like, wow. Like somehow, even as a nine-year-old, I was like, that was a baller move <laughs> to just put that out mm-hmm. there like that. That's amazing. Yeah. I love okay. that. I think I, I, we're from a certain generation where it's either um, the Batwing going up to the moon at the end of the first Batman, where it shoots up right before it comes mm-hmm. out and it, it hits the logo in the moon perfectly, or the, the bike slide yeah. in Akira. Everyone in our generation has yes, tried yeah. to find a job where they could do one of those two things, their version of the, that brand in, in something. Like, can I just <laughs> mimic that somewhere? So now um, I, I want to go like maybe all the way forward. So when we think of what was back in the day, we called it, I don't know, we called it animation. Then we started calling it motion graphics and then it was MoGraph. Maybe it comes to a day now where we all say, okay, we've agreed on a term. It's motion design. But Ryan, I want to, I want to ping you because you said something to me re- recently that I was like, ah, okay. Again, this is your flag bearer coming out in you that you said is that you, you sort of boldly said, you know, I don't even think motion design is like a skill or a discipline, right? Cause so many people want to put it into some sort of a category called, oh, you're using a certain program or software or a tool as if a carpenter is defined by the hammer he wields or something. But you talked about it being almost, um, was it a philosophy? Is that the term you used? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, just to remind you just a little bit back, I, I, I recently left a job, I think in hindsight, started leaving the job because it was told to me that motion design was just a collection of tools. And at the same time, that was kind of with no motion design is just animation for advertising. And I, I think I had a f- visceral physical reaction to that. And it, that, that actually surprised me because I've been in probably as many or, or, or quite a few of the like related brother and sister art communities, you know, creative professionals that, that consider themselves artists. And I really feel like motion design, when you look at it holistically, when you have to operate fast, when you have small budgets, when people are looking for something new, when looking, people are looking for you to be a tastemaker, when people are looking for you to solve a problem they don't even know to ask yet, that motion design is a way, of, a way of life, a philosophy that does not rely on a brittle, very structured pipeline with people who only do one role, specifically rinse and repeat over and over. Not that that does not exist within motion design, but on a whole, motion designers are, are, are expected to come up with new solutions bespoke every single time with rapidly changing tools that aren't reliant on having to stay on the previous version from three years ago because the job started three years ago. Um, the way we think, the way we react, the way we innovate, the way we solve the problem that isn't even necessarily the first ask on an RFP, to me, that's very different than motion is, or very different than visual effects, feature film animation, TV animation, um, sound design, filmmaking, where there is, because we are so immature, because we are so early, because no one has actually, very few people have actually um, retired in this industry yet. It's all still fluid, right? It isn't magma that's cooled and then everybody's walking on top of it to say, this is the pinnacle, we always do it the same way. Um, and it, it's actually patently offensive to me to hear people say that motion design is just a bunch of tools at this point in my career. John, what's your take? You got to get in this. <laughs> it's, all right, so 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a hundred percent with you, and I I take similar <laughs> I take similar offense. Um, I find myself gravitating towards this skill of motion design above all else because there's so many sensibilities, there's so many aspects beyond the tools and the techniques that really resonate for me just in terms of problem solving. And the work that I've done is spanned, you know, very traditional motion mm -hmm. graphics, but all the way to uh, hardcore user experience or even like industrial design. And in any of those spaces, I always want to pull motion designers into mm -hmm. those problems because motion designers are the only skilled people that I know that are very flexible, that are very malleable, that are very uh, ambitious and willing to take on any sort of challenge. And it's like, well, of course they are, because in motion design, like, you know, on Tuesday, you could mm -hmm. be doing typographic layouts. And on Thursday, you could be making dynamic particle systems and everything in between, mm -hmm. right? And so, especially when I'm uh, tasked with challenges and, and projects that are about new kinds of technologies or interactions that haven't existed before, basically the things that don't already have best practices mm -hmm. or a template for success, those are the people that I want in the mix because I, I love, uh, you know, human-centered design and user experience as mm -hmm. a discipline, but I've also had some really difficult experiences working with hardcore UX gurus who themselves can't step out of some of the pre-existing frameworks and can't deviate from the exact path that for them was carved mm -hmm. in stone for how to solve yeah. some of these problems. And so for me, it's, and, and that's not to discount mm -mm. any of those methodologies or any of those approaches. They're unbelievably sound and they create successful results in many different capacities. But I'm also finding myself working in spaces where we're, we're trying to come up with these new solutions and I need some people that have that, that malleability built into their, into their yeah, mindset. I mean, it, from my, from my point of view, I'm very, very excited about where motion design is, but even more excited about where it's going forward. Because when I got into motion graphics or when I showed up on MoGraph.net for the first time, trembling in fear of the seven people that would destroy you <laughs> publicly in front of everyone. <laughs> um, what, I, what I loved about that was it felt like the Wild West. And, and what I mean by that is that it mm -hmm. meant that you could be a typographer, you could just have really good color sense, you could be an illustrator, you could be a skate punk, you could be someone from the music scene that made flyers, you could be a tattoo artist, you could be a, a cinematographer, yep. you could be any of those things. And you had value in motion design. And what really was bothering me four or five years ago was that motion design was really calcifying around motion design is After Effects plus Cinema 4D and these three house styles. You were either Patrick Clare or chasing Patrick Clare. You were either somebody just put type on a screen and moved a, a mm -hmm. camera back and forth, or you were trying to do corporate Memphis character design for explainer videos. And, and thankfully, with the advent of this just explosion of, you know, take your drink now, NFTs and then AI art tools for whatever good or bad they're doing, people are being exposed to so much more in terms of art history, finding new artists, trying new things. The tool base that we all just thought was going to be stable for the next 10 years is being radically disrupted. To me, that's finally reinforcing what I loved about motion design in the past, but it also is the thing that, again, as a flag bearer, I feel like I always feel like most people, if you go to Cartoon Brew right now, the site of record for animation, film animation, TV animation, you search motion design, 3% of all the articles will be about somebody who tried to do character animation and motion design, but it'll always be punching down. If you talk to anyone in visual effects or in the film community and they ask about motion design, oh, those are the guys who put stuff on screens or they do the end titles. 
in my mind, the entire equation has always been flipped the other way. Motion design is the umbrella that all these other things slot into because all the things that John just talked about, those skills, motion designers have at least a passing knowledge, if not experience, and almost all of that. But if you ask somebody who was maybe anyone other than like an editor in a feature film scenario to try to do what a motion designer does, they'd be frozen. They wouldn't know how to go and say, I need to do a 60 second commercial in five days and I need to make it look like it's a million dollars for $50,000. They would say no. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But motion design is capable of doing that. And I think motion design is also uniquely positioned for all these, hopefully what we talk about in the future, I don't even call them screens anymore, but all these canvases that we will be expected, the world will be expecting to Mm -hmm. interact with brands, with storytelling. Um, That's to me is like, that's motion design. Motion design is the place that can take all these other skills and wrap them up and solve your problems and tell your stories that other industries can't. And I'm, I'm unbelievably excited about, I do feel like we are at the precipice of the canvases, the available canvases, or basically the need for this skill set and this mindset is about to explode. Um, I've been talking about this a lot recently where, you know, in the last five years, probably the the fastest growing sector of like design in general, where the most money has been changing hands has been digital product design, effectively making apps. It is an enormous world. It is an enormous industry. And there is so much money moving around in that space. And we've seen big things happening like Adobe uh, uh, eating up Figma and and whatnot that are other clear signals that like, okay, this is this is huge. There's some serious stuff happening over here. The technology platforms are about to drastically change, and we're going to start moving away. And it's it, it'll be gradual at first, but we are going to transition away from everything happening in apps that fit into glass rectangles that we hold in our hands. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a need to rethink all of these experiences to exist in three-dimensional space or to be integrated into the world around us for, uh, you know, virtual reality somewhat, but augmented reality is, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that augmented reality, although it's going to take a while to get up and running, it's going to dramatically change everything. And when it does, all of a sudden, every single, you know, engineering and software problem in the world is going to be a motion yep. graphics I mean, problem exactly. to solve. And you're, you're going to need the people that are comfortable understanding three-dimensional mm-hmm. space while understanding information mm-hmm. delivery systems and can take the skills that they've learned in, you know, how, how many times have you worked on a commercial and realized that you only have you know, one and a half seconds to convey some information. And so you can't even put text on screen. You have Mm -hmm. to use iconography or photographs or footage or whatnot and just leveraging that mindset around this ability to use these skills to create the like densest information delivery mechanism possible. And and sorry to keep losing my mind over this, but like I, I go back to... Do you guys remember what Barry <laughs> says? I think it was 2003, 2004, somewhere around there. Uh, that was like the first to me, like, I guess, I don't know, uh, what are what are we calling those? It was like an animated mm-hmm. essay. It was sort of a explainer in yeah, some like sense. Um, I think we've seen... Yeah, and we've seen it uh, echoed in things like um, Patrick Clare's Division trailer and many, many other 
works, but where there's a narrative that is explained, but it's combined with visuals and not in-camera visuals, but graphic motifs and symbols and iconography that add so much additional like richness and meaning to the message that's being conveyed. And I do believe that like we will at some point live in a world where that is the way we consume mm-hmm. everything. That's going to be the way that we'll have conversations like this. We I mean, right now, we <laughs> yeah. already talk with our loved ones using emojis yep. and gifts of Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. and and whatnot to convey emotion and, and feeling. When you all of a sudden have this like infinite canvas um, of, of visual representation to tie into all of that, it's uh it's it's going to be something else and and i and quite frankly and again this is not to i i have tremendous reverence mm-hmm. for the world of digital product design and the people that are the most incredible figma artists in the world and whatnot but that mindset and that skill set is not ready mm-hmm. for this shit that is coming i can give you a, a real time and and one near future example that the future is in motion design's hands if it wants to step up and take it. I was at ESPN uh, just doing the normal, you know, I, I'm new to Spilt, so they took us out as the, the baby spilter to go and just introduce myself to ESPN, you know, clients we had. And the night before, I was at the bar across the street from ESPN in the hotel, and I'm watching, uh, whatever, it's Thursday Night Football, and um, there's a live camera looking out to the, it, it almost looked like an error. There's a live camera looking out to the field. Um, people are talking, you know, the announcers are talking, all of a sudden, like, oh, what's that? And they camera kind of pans over and all of a sudden the screen you know at the field that's already big starts transforming like literally starts transforming camera is live this is not Mm pre-rendered camera's transforming um i'm sorry the screen's transforming it's getting bigger it shoots straight up in the sky all these towers build out around it and then the camera pans to center you know half line and all of a sudden the field flips over and from every direction looks like just a standard 740 motion graphics cloner with some effectors pieces of a like 12 story tall gillette razor blade appear live and the thing that blew my mind was all of a sudden the announcers mentioned something about it and they cut to a hard cam down on the ground looking up. Then they cut to up at the top of the stadium and it's shooting it. And then you hear a VO of whatever Gillette, blah, blah, razor, 12 blades on it, whatever. And then they cut out to the field outside to a drone live. And the stadium is shooting off fireworks like it's the Super Bowl. None of this happens for real, obviously. I go wow. to ESPN the next day, we're showing our stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, just in the conversation, we're showing different teams. I'm like, Hey, did you happen to see the game last night? And they're like, no, I'm like, oh, can I pull this thing up for you? And I play it for them. And this is the first time I've, and I had nothing to do with this. Famous group did an amazing job in this. They, you know, it's their stock and trade, but it was live to the world. And all of a sudden I could literally watch the faces like blink on the imagination, blink on the sense of wonder, blink on the way I haven't seen since like the first time people saw a Pixar movie, all of a sudden everyone turns into little kids and like, what is that? And I didn't do it. But they're all looking to us, the motion design teams that's just showing are really like, how did that happen? Like the, they've seen magic for the first time. And all of a sudden, like, that's what I've been saying for the last two years is that there's going to be these epoch moments that are just like what you said with Happiness Factory. The first time you see Patrick Clare's Westworld or whatever the, seven, the titles for seven, we're on the verge of this thing, something will happen that catches fire in the public consciousness that will be like, what is that? I want that. And I, I joked there. I was like, well, you know what? You know, if you guys want to, have to hook up with Michael Bay and have the next Transformers like trailer actually happen at the Super Bowl halftime show, let's just throw a bunch of people with special apps on their iPhones at the Super Bowl and film 500 different points of view of the Transformers fighting while Aerosmith or the killers are playing the halftime show. 
and let's sell like a $50 million package to whatever studio is doing it. And like, what do you mean? I'm like, exactly. Come and call us tomorrow. Right? Like, and now I think in two days, Nexus is doing something where the gorillas are going to be live 20 feet tall in Times Square. If you have an iPhone mm-hmm. app with the right app, you'll be able to see the performance of their brand new debut single. This stuff is happening. And all it's going to take is one of these to light the public consciousness in just the right way. And then knock on everyone who's listening to this door is going to be, can you do that for me? So if we want to do it, it's right there in our hands, right? A VFX studio is not going to do it. A, a, a TV animation studio is not going to do it. Agencies aren't talking to him. They're talking to us. And they want to know how to make it. And they're looking to us to be the people who can say, yes, I can do that. But also, what would you like this on top of it? Wow. Okay, so send, send us that link because I, I got to go to, to Times Square and experience whatever the hell that is you just described because that sounds amazing. We'll get back to this conversation after this quick message. Hey, Joel, I think this is a good moment for us to talk about Rev Community and how important it is to have studio owners join. Mm, You know, that's a good point because I bet there are a lot of people listening right now that are owners that don't realize the power of connecting with their their peers. I know this this is their competitors, Tim. It sounds weird, but it's a complete game changer, especially over the span of one's career. Don't you find it exciting just how fast community has been growing just word of mouth to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business owners that have just been telling each other, please join. It goes to show you that peers are not afraid to talk to each other and have honest conversations. And I, I absolutely love the discussion forum that takes place almost on a daily basis, churning up new ideas and encouraging one another. Yeah, and it's not conversations with employees. It's not something you're going to talk about with your clients, right? It's not your freelancers. These are other business owners that are struggling with the same exact issues. So for anyone listening that doesn't know about Rev Community, Tim, what should they do? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Go to revthink.com slash community. And all we need is your email address. It is an application process so that we can verify you're a studio owner and not a vendor or a client or a permalance or an employee. We want people of like kind in here processing real world thoughts and real world problems so we can work them out. So yeah, join us. That's the easiest thing to say, right, Joel? Join us right now at revthink.com slash community. Yep, look forward to seeing you there. And now back to the conversation. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Um, Ryan, you... you- touched on a couple things very briefly that I think are really important to point out, which is also just that like this very multidisciplinary field that we're in has granted us all with a fluency and a comfort with exploring new mediums and new disciplines. And that is something that, you know, is really critical in positioning us as Mm -hmm. the guides and the mentors to walk through the room full of executives and people who are who are lost Mm -hmm. in understanding well it can be done but yeah it's going to require you need you know you need certain cameras and certain trackers and you Mm -hmm. need to do you know 3d graphics but not that kind of 3d graphics it needs Mm -hmm. to be real-time 3d graphics and whatnot but just that ability to provide that guidance. I, I see so much need for that out there in the world. There's so many, and especially when there's all these other things that are creating 
um, general panicked FOMO of like, oh, are we not getting in early enough on the metaverse, mm-hmm. whatever that is and, and whatnot. There's a lot of people out there that need that sort of guidance. And, you know, to me, this again, we're, we're very well positioned. And I think your, your statement of like, we just have to step up and, and seize it, have to take yeah. a moment and look at and, and really appreciate what this knowledge or this comfort in this space does for us and how it enables us mm-hmm. to really provide some desperately needed help. That's where I'm really excited, but also equal parts fearful because we have conceded our place in the industries many times before by just being reactive and having this kind of imposter syndrome and kind of lack of confidence because we can't even define ourselves. And we're like, oh, we're just a niche of a niche of a niche. And we're just animation for advertising. I'm just an After Effects artist. But we, we just work for abusive clients and whatnot, you know. But there hasn't been that, that like, and that's why I still say this industry is so immature. I'm waiting for some type of leadership to put, and maybe that's why we are having these conversations. And there's more podcasts is that everyone is trying to coalesce or conjure up this leadership to be able to go in and say, you know what, we, we have all these tools. We know how to do these things, but um, did you know you need this? And let me show you why you need it, because your audience is not listening to the ways they used to. We have that. We are in those conversations. We have like, there's so many people who work in like VC funded startups that have this, this phrase just called deal flow. Like you're just a, you're a seat at a table that you're hearing everything. You have your, your finger on the pulse. We as like people in motion design, as stewards of motion design, as shop owners, as creative directors pitching, as artists who are learning these tools, we have our finger on a pulse that they don't even know is something they should be paying attention to. But if we wait too long or we don't speak with confidence and humility and we don't show these examples and we just keep on making derivative echo chambers of everything that's been going on for the last 10 years, we're going to concede that position to the agencies and to a VFX shop that wants to come and you know, take that piece of the pie as well. And then we're just going to be back in the same position that we we're in before. But there's this moment in time where our advertisers don't know how to reach the audiences. They don't know where they're at. They don't know what they want to hear. They don't know how to speak to them. They don't know how to excite them. They don't know what magic looks like to the audience that they're trying to convince, right? But we, we do, we're the ones around that. And we just, for some reason, there's always this, just this feeling of like very reaction, reactionary positions that the industry as a whole takes in. Like you said, you, you see that in the, the FUD about NFTs or AI art tools or GPU renderers or whatever it might be. This industry has just had a track record and history of always getting in its own way and I, I, I'm kind of getting tired of every year waiting to hear what the next new thing is we're all supposed to be doomsdaying about versus saying like, no, you, you have the world in your hands and you're just not taking advantage of it. You're not taking the ball and running. What, what is it? There's a psychological makeup that we can't get past for some reason. So I'm, I'm almost curious to interject here with a question that in a way might segue from the point you're making, Ryan, to a question for John, because maybe there's even a bias towards our industry of motion design, we think of it today as <clears throat> mostly marketing. We think of it as advertising, mm-hmm. right? You called it uh, mm-hmm. animation for, for advertising. But as futurists, I know both of you are thinking about this, and especially you, John, that there's this idea that motion design is, I, I believe, is going to be helping shape the future. And I say, like, of the planet. It sounds super ridiculous and, and very optimistic and very big. But I think clearly we're moving beyond motion design as a tool just for marketing and advertising because it's starting to influence actual products, actual services, mm-hmm. and experiences. Agree or disagree, John? <laughs> All right. So this gets a little loaded for me and, you know, cut me off when I start to lose my mind a little bit. But like I have, I consider 
an enormous um, growth point in my career, not working in any advertising mm-hmm. for the last six or seven or eight years. And for me, there was some really negative trends that I was feeling around 2009 to 2011, both between some of the conventional motion design or MoGraph clients of like broadcast networks and Mm -hmm. ad agencies of just like, there was no loyalty with the clients. They were clearly just manipulating all of their vendors Mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the best that they could. It's, it's not a uniform rule. There's some good clients out there, but it, it makes me say, well, no wonder these studios and figureheads all have imposter syndromes and all, you know, Mm -hmm. aren't as ambitious with seizing some of these opportunities because they've been working with clients that are, um, that, that very specifically modulate and, and control these relationships in, in pretty unhealthy ways. Um, working outside of that space and even working in film, which mm-hmm. is a brutal landscape to work mm-hmm. in, the work is really, really hard in film. It's really difficult, but somehow the relationships were a million times better. There was yep. a lot more respect for the work that was being brought to the table. And it blew me away every time we would sit down with a blockbuster director, mm-hmm. put ideas out there, and they would just say like, holy shit, you just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think like, well, that's funny because the agency you know, creative director would always just like put his finger on his chin and nod and say, mm-hmm. okay, I think this is maybe good enough and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so between working in film and working in technology, where I think there is, uh, to me, a more appropriate level of reverence for what we bring to the table. I mean, I strongly encourage that anybody in this space find the opportunities to just explore some of these different Mm -hmm. kinds of client relationships, because once you get into a groove with them, it also gives you a, a better understanding of your real position in this space and in this culture and the influence and the power that you have in your hands to to make an impact which i really do think the people that like work day in and day out with these studios they just have you know it's it's for them it's just kind of like pimpology 101 Mm -hmm. to you know just modulate these these relationships Mm -hmm. i think maybe it's important to note for people that Maybe this is the commonality that we didn't share for for John and I is that we both have been we worked hard, but both have been very fortunate and lucky to work for clients that aren't necessarily just advertising clients, and you get to experience that that relationship where you're considered a peer, and, and not I, the word I I think I almost spit out my drink when you said vendor because it, it, that that word just I want to strike mm-hmm. it from the the language of motion design. I I will say just even as an aside, I feel like that's the that word entering into the visual effects. Um, industry is what I think gutted it from the inside when industrial light and magic stopped focusing on the magic and focused on the industry by saying how much stuff was done on the computer versus artists, they, they gave their power away. And that was precisely when they were started to be talked about as vendors rather than partners, which I think we allow way too much within the industry. But I, I think the best metaphor I can think of for, for what you're talking about, John, is that the vast majority of the motion design industry thinks of themselves as session players in a studio. Session players can be amazing. Session players are anonymous. Session players are uncredited, respected by people, appreciated, paid, but anonymous and aren't elevated. And very few of us have had the chance to be a musician playing in front of an audience, if that makes any sense. But when you get a taste of that, 
whether it's like a personal project that you do and you get to show it in front of a, a film festival, you get to go to Dash Bash and get on stage and explain how you made something that wasn't for a client. You do an opening, you make your own demo reel that's full of your own pieces and not somebody else's pieces you were hired to do, but what you want to do. You get a little taste of that and you get a sense of what I keep on saying is the wider world that's available to you as a motion designer working in this industry. And I think we're in very vaunted, like lucky positions to be able to say, oh, it's here for you. Work with, you know, mm -hmm. a film director and see how cool it is. But I, I think there's ways to also tell people who are listening to this that aren't at that level. You can get a little piece of that and have your eyes open to what we're talking about, that you can be in a position where you're a peer or you're someone who's revered for something you've done and, and someone wants you. Not your ability to just knock something out for a day, but you, your vision, your thoughts, your voice, your opinions, your, your obsessions, those things. Those are unique to motion design because very few people inside of film or TV animation or visual effects get to express their voice, right? They are vendors. Here, it can be very, very different. Yeah, and I, I think that's, uh, that's really potent. That's really powerful. And just tapping into that sort of like, if you've ever had a friend that is outside of this industry and you've just tried to share with them, well, like, this is kind of what I'm capable of doing. This is what I can do. There's a lot of clients that are out there in the world that you can do that for and will have the same sort of reverence and appreciation for that that hit of magic that you can bring to to the conversation or to the problem or to the challenge at hand. And I think it's really important that folks find those opportunities to intersperse between all the other ongoing relationships that they have to, mm -hmm. to keep themselves in business doing this work. It goes back to the thing that I can't take credit for, but I thought it was so brilliant. And I, I repeat as much as I can. Um, Amanda Russell, uh, the owner of um, Cream Studios, made this mention to me one time. And I, I keep on putting all capital letters and say all the time, like motion design has a marketing problem. And it, it significantly mm -hmm. has a marketing problem because we are hired to tell audiences why a product or a service or brand is so great, very eloquently, very specifically, sometimes with no words and just visuals. But Joel, you, you will laugh because you make a living doing this. You go to every single one of the sites of the studios that do this, and they all say the same paragraph. Where uh, uh, I mean, Joel, you can repeat it yeah. better than I can. But like, you know, like we're a design studio housed in animation, serving solutions to you through a mix of design, live act. Like what? It, it sounds like yeah. problem. It's gross. It's nothing. It's we're, recycled we're storytellers. Story yeah, the words. Yeah, exactly. The word yeah. salad. <laughs> you know, like to me, motion design as an industry. We don't have an AIGA. We don't have a, a body of people that are actually saying this is what it is. But even on a very small level, we marginalize the things that we do day to day because of our marketing problem and our imposter syndrome and our just kind of like lack of value that you don't even know what a client doesn't even know yet. You don't even know the questions that you should be asking them until you actually listen to them and have a high value of your own work and what you do. I was working with a tech company and they spent nine months and tens of thousands of dollars to build their, their brand book, their design library, their language. This is what we say. This is how we show it in design. There wasn't a single page in that book about animation, but they had hired us to do their manifesto to launch the brand out in the world. And I had so many questions to ask them. And they're like, we don't even, we don't even know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, is this, is this tech company supposed to be luxurious? Is it supposed to be positive? Is it supposed to be energetic? Is it supposed to be calm? Is it and they're like, well, just look at the brand book. I'm like, no, when we move... All those things you thought about, that doesn't mean anything as soon as it starts moving. Because if it's in a direct, if the movement, the animation language, going back to the very beginning of this call with Spider-Verse, it moves in a very specific way for a specific reason that's thought out just as much as the design. If you don't take as much care and thought into the, the animation language, then you're throwing all of those tens of thousands of dollars and months and months of work away without even knowing it. These clients don't even know that that's something they should even be thinking about.
And you're not telling them that you have this miraculous capability as a motion designer to breathe energy and trust and life into all these other things they value. You're not even selling that. You're just saying, how fast can I do it in how short amount of time for how cheap? Like to me, that's why we're still eight years old as an industry. We're not even teenagers yet because we haven't even gotten over that yet. Yeah, I'm hearing the there's a there's a reactive posture that you're, you know, you're diagnosing there, Ryan, that yes, of course, we can be vendors, we can just respond to the requests coming at us, make my thing, sell my stuff, right? Advertise my whatever. But I think the two of you have had enough experiences now where you get into situations and you realize, you know, it's not about just giving somebody what they want, that motion or that animation thing. It is about, hey, sure, I could solve that problem, but let's actually find better questions. Let's find the much more interesting questions. Have you thought about, did you know, wouldn't it be cool if, and now there's this incredible like world of opportunities maybe, or solutions or things that are possible that the client just had no idea, had no idea. So let me last ask this question because we're, we're going to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and move us towards some sort of a conclusion because I know we could talk about this probably. We could have this conversation every week for almost a year. I'm just going to say, what, what is the, uh, what's the encouragement to this current generation that's just on the precipice of a career in motion design? And they may not even use that term yet because, right, it's a kid in school who is, you know, studying 3D or it, it's a kid who maybe is in a, uh, it's a girl that's becoming a director. Okay. But there's some potential and possibility that they're hearing in this conversation and saying, wow, those guys talk really fast. I need, <laughs> I need to go back and listen to that again. I would just say I'm jealous of you because you're in a better position than any of us have ever been because the, the tools have never been more accessible. The computers have never been faster. The ability to reach anyone has never been more fluid. There have never been more people wanting to help you. And, and I use that term canvas. And I don't use it lightly. There have never been more empty canvases across more possible applications of whatever it is that you did when you were five years old. I'm like, I wonder if I could do this the rest of my life. That possibility, even in a downturn economy, even in, in a place where, where money isn't cheap the way it was for the last five or six years, the, the moment Apple glasses comes out and everyone starts wearing them, you just did a, a, a like order of magnitude more canvases that are now going to be available for you, right? Like, like we, don't even, we can't even imagine or dream the amount of places that your capabilities, your knowledge, your work, that you are as close to the metal in a way that John and I can't be because you're starting. All this stuff is here for you, right? Like I had to learn how to animate on an Etch-a-Sketch animator. There are people growing up now who have an iPad that are using tools that weren't even something that I could spend $50,000 to get access to when I was starting out. And that wasn't that long ago. It doesn't feel like that because it feels like there's this crazy huge mountain to climb, but that's people putting stones in your way to make it seem like it's harder to get where you want to go. Like I, to me, it, it, I couldn't imagine being 19 right now. And, and there are a world of hurdles, but there's a world of access and possibility and people who need you. I need you right now. I just tried to hire four artists. I can only find two after looking through 500 people. You know, like yep. if someone's listening, like we, we need you because we don't have enough people to go where we want to go, let alone where you can go in the future. Yeah. I mean, you said it, uh, even in an economic downturn, there's going to be more, there's going to be like 10 times as many title sequences produced next year than there yeah. were five years ago. Like 
the yeah. the the need, the appetite, and the vacuum that is pulling uh, these skills towards towards this space is enormous right now. Um, my biggest piece of ad of advice to anyone coming into this space would be to really adopt the generalist mindset, and not just in terms of oh, I'm going to learn typography, but also 3D design and some real-time stuff and sound design and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But also start looking at the ways that you can design a different kind of process or design a new kind of client relationship or design a new model of engagement that you can work under and whatnot. Explore all of those things because it's all going to continue to be up for grabs in this space. If I could add to that too, because I, I, I couldn't agree more. If it's talking to a specific person, like right now that's listening, be curious, be loud, listen to your gut and be a tinkerer. Like, like, like whatever it is that you're interested in, there will be an application of it if you take it far enough. You know, be curious and be humble, but be, be confident. If you can find a way to ride that seesaw of like, don't be so loud that people don't want to hear you, but don't be so meek that people won't trust you. Well, I love what you were hinting of something there, John, too, that I heard you saying, um, get outside of some of these traditional bubbles, right? Yeah. Get out of, mm -hmm. Ryan, you used the term earlier of echo chambers, right? Like just getting out in the world and connecting with people and starting to listen and, and synthesize, wow, that problem, that solution, that resource, that moment, that way of engaging, like there's so much opportunity that I think motion can design can, um, can meet in those moments. I, I mean, I, I share the optimism that both of you have. I kind of, I think I've gotten goosebumps <laughs> a couple times during this conversation, <laughs> quite literally, because I'm like, maybe, maybe we are really like, we, we, we think the revolution has already happened. Like, wow, the desktop revolution happened. And then, you know, the explosion of the, the, the last decade and then in the pandemic, our industry just like, whoa, stepped up and took off in new ways. But I feel like it's going to do it again and again and again. And I can't speak about it in specificity because that future is being invented by us right now. But I sense it. <laughs> this morning, this morning, we literally had a gigantic break, breakthrough in science with a nuclear fusion like achievement that most people never thought was even humanly possible. We don't know what we don't even know. We don't even know what to ask. Like if you hear people complain, if you hear people doomsdaying, don't listen to tired old people. Don't. There's, there's so much possible out there. And specifically for this industry, if you love animation, TV animation, character animation, this is the fastest way to get to it, right? There aren't gatekeepers. There's people who don't even know how to do it that want to do it, want to sell it. If you're good at it, you can get it. If you want to do 3D rendering, this is the place to be able to get into it, right? If you want to become a storyteller. This is the place to do it. So many of these other industries, because they're so long in the tooth, they've been around for so long, have put so many gates in front of you to prove that you're worthy to have a shot. Motion design doesn't have that, man. Like the time from zero to becoming sustainable to becoming a director is the shortest in motion design if that's what you want to do, right? Like I, I just, I, I think the biggest problem besides a marketing problem is there's just an awareness problem in motion design. There's so many people that I see struggling in so many other related industries that I'm just like, do you want to come over here? To walk with me through this door called motion design. Can I introduce you to some people who think you're amazing, even though in your industry, they're telling you you're a junior and you haven't been doing it for eight years and actually don't have any good ideas. And there's 12 people that can do it. Like there's so much possible for people if they would just kind of like walk through the door. I love it. The one last like kind of 
doomsday thing hanging over all of, uh, you know, the second half of this year has been the AI thing. And I, I, I want to just touch on it really quick for, uh, there's mm-hmm. two strong positions that I have on this in terms of how it relates to dooming everything. If it's going to doom everything, our pretty pictures and keyframes are going to be the least of our worries. Like start worrying about like hunter gatherer society. Okay. Before you start <laughs> worrying about like, Oh, but what if it gets good at, you know, making animation? Like if it's, if it's going to disrupt our, our industry, it's going to disrupt like the entire planet. We'll find, you know, universal basic income or something like that. And it'll, yeah. it'll be, it'll be a, a, learn, a learn, learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like don't, don't spend your time sweating. Like, Oh, is it, you know, is it, is it the new freelancer that I have to worry about? Like, it's, it's just mm-hmm. not, don't waste your time with that. But also the other thing is like it, uh, the way these systems work is they're trained. Right. And we've got, again, we're on the edge of this whole new realm of dimensional and spatial experiences that there is no existing training material for. And whatever mm-hmm. there is, is going to be very rudimentary and very basic. And we're, we're still going to have to find radical new ways to, to innovate in those spaces. So uh, right. there's, there's just so many fun opportunities that I see right around the corner. And I just feel like anything that anybody's doing to level themselves up in this space is just putting... Uh, you know, some serious uh, chips on the right spot on the mm-hmm. table that is that is going to just pay back tenfold at some point in the next decade. Agreed. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to wrap it up there. And in a way, I feel like this is part one of something I don't know what. <laughs> is that fair to say? <laughs> But it's it's really cool to like in a way feel like um we've we've almost have this messy uh I call it manifesto mm-hmm. here like over the past sixty minutes that I'm super keen to see it collapse into something that we could call a marketing you know that's going to solve that marketing and awareness problem mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's on us I guess we have to step up and and solve that uh, for our industry. Well, thanks to both of you. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the form of it is, but it, there, there's definitely a need and there's definitely people who would respond to it, but we have to figure it out. Well, huge thanks to you, Ryan, to John. I, uh, I, I feel like I was just in the middle of this cr- incredible bout, right? Just kind of playing referee between <laughs> these two futurist minds. So it's, it's super fun. Uh, thanks so much. It's great talking with you, John. Yeah, Ryan, awesome to uh, to shoot the breeze with you on this stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation. Joel, thank you very much for, for putting this together. And I love, uh, you know, having you there to also kind of like, you know, it, it helps to shape the conversation because we know that you're the guy that's going to call bullshit on anybody the moment there's an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this has been a huge amount of fun. Let's let's keep it going. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today 
at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com community. I look forward to seeing you there.